0: Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news stories and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome
1: to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 45. Today in the show, we're joined by professional dog trainer Jeremy Moore to talk about dogs and how they can help you find sheds and wounded deer. Enjoy. All right, welcome to another edition of the Wired to Hunt podcast. And today, Dan, myself, and our guest are talking dogs. Yes, dogs, but not just any dogs. These are dogs that can help deer hunters. And our guest today, Jeremy Moore, is an expert on this topic since he is a dog trainer and founder of Dogbone, which is a company that creates products to help you train your own dog to find shed antlers or track wounded game. And I'm hoping that today Jeremy can share with us some tips for training our own dogs, whether it is to find sheds or wounded game, and then also give us some tips for utilizing game-tracking dogs that maybe aren't our own. So that all said, though, before we get into the nitty-gritty today, Dan, what's going on over there in Iowa?
2: Uh, It's still cold. Um, Still snow on the ground, so I haven't been shed hunting too much. Um, My wife is still super pregnant (laughs) and it's it's good and she's she's 30 weeks along now so right in the middle of turkey season is when our boy's going to be born other than that um you know preparing for the western hunt starting to buy all the gear i need Uh, we just had a good conversation before we started recording about that Mm -hmm. and um other than that you know just just living life hey that doesn't sound too bad didn't hey, uh, no, I got I got something for you. I got I got a question for you. Yeah? All right. So, you made a po- comment online. I think it was Facebook. Something about um if you review the podcast, I don't know if it was the podcast or, or the or the Wired to Hunt blog that you were going to send out a hat. To uh like a a hat with a new Wired to Hunt logo on it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was uh, at the end of last week's podcast we announced that. Yep. Yep.
2: yep. So, My question to you is: First off, I thought we were friends, and (laughs) I thought that maybe your co-host would maybe get a sneak preview of the hat before everybody else would.
1: But you haven't, have you?
2: you, No. Can you explain yourself?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I got to keep it under wraps. We got to keep it secret. I, uh, you're right though. There's a bunch of new things coming out that I don't think you have seen totally yet. But I want to keep the drama. I, mean, I want you to I want you to have that same exciting experience as the rest of our listeners and uh readers and whatnot. But you don't need to geez. wait much longer.
2: Not much longer, Dan. Okay. I mean, all I'm asking for is a hat, Mark. You'll you'll get a hat. You'll get a hat. Okay, good. Yeah. Good.
1: Oh yeah. But the first hat goes to a podcast listener, not a podcast host.
2: Okay. Yeah, I I, I see how that should
1: work. <laughs> Hopefully you like it. Hopefully uh, I, our listener likes it.
2: I've, I've seen the logo, I've seen the logo and that's pretty, that's pretty badass, but the I haven't seen the hat yet. So and I'm a hat guy. I love hats.
1: Yeah, yeah. The hats, the hats are cool, they're different. The logo's different. The whole new site's different. We're taking things, you know, taking it to the next level, making sure that we, we represent the next generation since we are you know deer hunting for the next generation. That's been our, our kind of mission since the beginning of Wired to Hunt back uh, five, six years ago. So we want our new look to reflect that. So, um, knock on wood. If everything goes well, this Friday the new website will be launched. But oh, sweet, yeah. But you know how things go. There's a potential yeah. that uh, you know we might be delayed. But it'll be coming soon. So if you're listening, make sure you check out wiredhunt.com soon to see the new look, the new logo, the new hats. We're gonna have shirts available too. Um, so some very cool stuff. So we'll have more, more details on that soon once everything launches, but, uh, Dan, don't worry. You will get a hat and a shirt yes. very yeah. soon. A shirt too. Yeah. I'm going to get you a shirt.
2: Oh, buddy. That's awesome. <laughs> and, and then, <laughs>
1: but the, the one, uh, prereq is that you have to take a picture with me with our matching hats and matching shirts and you need to have your arm around me. You
2: can do that. <laughs> I'm all about that.
1: Sup- I'm all about the selfie. A super weird selfie. That's what I'm looking for.
2: Should we have our t shirt tucked into our jeans with no belt? I like where you're going with this. Okay. I the cr- think- creepy, creepy selfie.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is really gonna help our brand. <laughs> it's gonna be great for the
2: brand. <laughs> exactly. These are the biggest nerds in the in the hunting industry.
1: Yeah. I think we've got at least I've got that locked down. You're you're a little cooler than me, but I've definitely got the nerd thing
2: locked down, I think. But come hey. on. You used to be an Abercrombie and Fitch model. <laughs>
1: Why did you, have, you say you're
2: cooler than don't, me.
1: don't bring that up. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: I, literally, central. I literally got someone post a comment again on Facebook just yesterday about the about the Abercrombie comment. It's uh it's not it's not fading away. It's not fading away. Well, but yeah.
2: At least you're at least you're getting recognized with Abercrombie and Fitch when I would more than likely be like the figurehead of a truck stop in <laughs> the worst part of any state.
1: Yeah, that does seem to kind of fit your style. <laughs> yeah,
2: come into Dan Johnson's truck stop. Biggest <laughs> flapjacks on the road.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I'd go there. I don't know if <laughs> I would. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, lots of, <laughs> you know, great start to the show. <laughs>
2: Yeah, exactly. Hey, it's always good
1: to laugh. Yeah, I agree. That is fun. And, you know, speaking of laughing, um, I don't, I don't know if I've shared this with you yet, Dan, but we have gotten so much positive feedback on episode number 43 or 42, 42 I think it was in which you and me just told our favorite hunting stories. And I think people, you know, so many people said they just really enjoyed hearing those stories and laughing along with us about the, you know, goofy things we did growing up. Um, i thought that was pretty cool so if you if you're listening and you haven't heard episode 42 which is our favorite hunting stories make sure you go back and listen to that you go to uh wired to hunt dot com slash episode 42 to listen and i think it was a good reminder dan for us that uh you know we like to share you know great hunting tips and tactics but sometimes it's it's just nice to you know get back to what's really at the core of it which is having a good time
2: yeah we'll have to do another one of those uh coming up because uh when it comes to stories i know me and you have a lot and we just scratched the tip of the iceberg on on funny stories
1: oh yeah absolutely there's plenty more where those come from so like you said we'll have to dive into that one sometime in the future lots of speaking of that lots of cool things coming down the line we've got some great uh podcasts coming up here related to shed hunting since we're getting a shed hunting season and then after that we're gonna have some experts gonna talk about habitat management and food plots and different ideas that we can tackle in the spring. Um, And then, man, a whole slew of different exciting things this summer. So I'm really excited about what's to come on the podcast this year. We're working hard to make sure that this is going to be even better than our first year on the podcast. So I think, uh, Dan, you and me, we're going to be busy.
2: Yep. The sophomore album
1: is always the hardest. (laughs) That's true. I don't want to be a one-hit wonder.
2: No, we don't want to.
1: No, absolutely not. So today, Dan, we're we're talking about dogs. You don't have a dog, though, do you?
2: Uh, I beg to differ, Mark. Uh, I have actually have. I have a seven-year-old Maltese. Well, it got married into the family, but uh, my wife has a Maltese, and um, I'm going to ask uh, our, our guest today if uh, I could possibly train an old dog to do new tricks.
1: It's a good question.
2: It's very and if good a Maltese if a Maltese has the shed hunting genetic.
1: Isn't the Maltese like the little tiny lap dog with long hair?
2: That's correct. Uh, And don't forget annoying, too. (laughs) It's an annoying dog.
1: So you and your Maltese, is he or she typically like on the front seat of your pickup when you're driving around town with a big buck in the back?
2: Uh, No. Um, Oh, how do I explain my dog? My dog is high-maintenance. It's a diva. Mm -hmm. Um, It's bark is always worse than its bite. So far, and, so far uh, your
1: dog seems to perfectly reflect you.
2: Yeah, Diva. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Except my dog wants do like if my dog was a person, it would be it would buy it would buy its clothing based on brand brand name. You know, it wouldn't care about, "Oh, I I uh, I wear Gucci or I wear Prada or that that's that's my dog."
1: Would it wear Abercrombie & Fitch? It's a brand.
2: You know, I think Abercrombie and Fitch would be a step down for my dog.
1: You're probably right. No offense, Mark. No, of course. She's, she's, Not seven, taking...
2: year, she's seven years old times seven, so 49-year-old. So probably into some – Like uh... Ann Taylor
1: or something like that.
2: <laughs> Ann Taylor? <laughs> <laughs> well, that just proves how much we know about fashion if we think Ann Taylor is high-end. That's like in every shopping mall in America. I think my mom wears Ann Taylor. <laughs>
1: I don't know what I'm talking
2: about. <laughs> I don't either. Let's let's just start talking. Let's get this guy on the phone.
1: Yeah, we should talk about something we know a little bit about, which is <laughs> which is deer. <laughs> so yeah, Jeremy is a cool guy. I've actually talked to him a decent bit over the past maybe 3 or 4 years because I got a dog to train to to help me try to find some sheds. And so Jeremy was pretty helpful in me figuring that whole process out. But I want to have him share all those great insights with with you and with everybody else. And he's also, you he got some great insights to developing a tracking dog, a blood tracking or game tracking dog. So that's something pretty cool that I'm really interested in too. So,
2: yeah, I needed one of those this year.
1: Yeah, you and me both. I need. I hired two, where I got two and yeah. didn't, didn't help this time. But I, uh, well, yeah, I, I've got all sorts of stories on that too. I've actually had, you know not this past year, but 2013, I had my buck six years was found with the help of a tracking dog. This year, um, my dad's buck was found with the help of a tracking dog and yeah, so I've had two so far. So that's pretty cool. I'm definitely convinced of it. So I guess let's, let's just get the expert on the line because you and me, we're going to go around circles here if we don't do that.
2: Yeah, Talk about fashion for a while. <laughs>
1: Yeah, let's, no more Ann Taylor. Let's get, let's, get, let's get Jeremy on the line. All right, here with us on the show is Jeremy Moore. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Hey,
0: thanks for having us,
1: guys. Yeah, we're uh, me and Dan were just talking about the fact that um, somehow just before you got on the line, we got kind of distracted and started talking about women's fashion and that wasn't a good topic for us, so we're excited to... (laughs) I
0: was just saying, (laughs) boy, that probably made you think of me as a boy Yeah.
1: We thought that you would you would give us a good reason to stop talking about that. So sure, sure. So we're, I'll distract you on that. Yeah, please do. We're we're looking forward to picking your brain about everything related to deer dogs. You know, dogs that can help us find antlers, dogs that can help us find um, wounded game, find our deer. Um, but before we dive into the million questions that me and Dan have, you know, for the listeners that maybe aren't familiar with you or your company. Can you give us a brief introduction to to who you are, your background and then to what your company Dogbone is, is all about?
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, um, you know, obviously we we've got this company and it's called Dogbone and and it's the brand is is built around the idea of tools um that have been been kind of created out of a little bit of a demand. As far as stuff that will help us um, ultimately train our dogs to be, like you said, we're, we're kind of dubbing the idea of a deer dog. It really started out with, um, it started out with the shed dog aspect of things, and, and just to give you an idea of my personal background, my, my background is not not anything formal with dogs. It's it's actually I've, I've got a degree in construction management, and that's what I went to college for, and kind of grew up my whole life in this construction world. But I always had what started me in on it was I had a golden retriever when I was real young, and my family always had golden retrievers, and I fell in love with the idea of training them. And it was it was bird hunting. It was a, it started out uh, training them as pheasant dogs, and um, really not knowing what in the world we were doing at all. Not to say that I know what I'm doing now yet either, but uh, I really didn't know what I was doing back then. And so, but I really enjoyed working with the dogs and. So I got through, you know, through uh, growing up and and finally went off to college. And when I was over in college, and I went to school on the west side of the state here in Wisconsin. I'm from Wisconsin. And went to school over at a little school called uw Stout. And most of the, like, half the school is from Minnesota. And that was where I met a ton of friends of mine that were guys from Minnesota. And they really had, I mean, I'm telling you, they were duck hunters. These guys were duck hunters and goose hunters. And they knew their bird hunting. And I really, at that point, was introduced to it kind of more formally and loved it. I loved doing it. But what I really loved about it was the dog work. And and so I kind of, that's really where I got kind of, I'm going to say a little more serious when it comes to the dog training stuff. So I ended up, I bought my first lab when I was in college. I, you know, brought this dog up and we, we joined a pheasant club there. And we, we did a bunch of bird hunting with these dogs. And I really, that's where I really dove into the idea of how to train them. And, and, and I'm, I'm a big believer in, I don't think there's, regardless of what you're training a dog for, I don't think there's one specific way to do it. I, I think there's a combination of things that, that have to be taken into consideration. Some of it is the idea of what the dog is, as far as what traits does it have? What does it have natural tendencies to do? The other thing is, personality wise with the trainers because you know we all there's no two of us that are the exact same and we all have a little bit different style so for me I I listened to and I watched and and read and and did it got as much information as I could from as many trainers as I could and then what I did was I tried to figure out how to how does it work best with me and the dogs and the style of dogs and training so that was kind of what got me hooked in the dog training part of things and that's where i kind of got serious about it what happened was is i focused my efforts on these birds and in, if you know anything about wisconsin in the western part of the state up and down the mississippi river it's a pretty good deer over there so i uh you know i was right just outside of buffalo county and i didn't do much deer hunting when i was there and after i got out of college i kind of regretted that and i thought boy yeah, i bet <laughs> I spent some time in the backyard of some of the best whitetail country, in my opinion, in, in the world, and it, not. And I will regret it because I really enjoyed the bird hunting that we did. But I kind of kicked myself and thought, boy, I got. I wanted to get back to focusing on the deer. So um, here I had these dogs, and I had some real nice dogs. And I thought, what in the world am I going to do with these dogs if I if I decide to kind of hang it up as far as the bird hunting goes? If if And you know it, when it comes to the fall, if you're going to do something and you're going to do it right and you're going to do it well, it takes a lot of time. And I didn't have time to do both the bird hunting and the deer hunting in the mm-hmm. fall. So we that's when I made that decision. And what came of it was I had heard about these guys that were using these dogs to shed hunt and having success with it. And the thing was, is a lot of people, I'm not going to say a lot, but there was Several guys out there that were doing it and and doing well with it and the the problem was is I tried to figure out how to do it and there was nothing there to tell you nothing to help you no way to um, you know you couldn't you couldn't get stuff that would help you do it where if I wanted to train a pheasant dog boy you go to any retail store and walk them down the dog aisle there's DVDs there's scents there's all these training tools that help you do it so I started thinking like how can I Use these dogs to shed hunt with. And so, what I ended up doing was, I went back to that background of my gun dogs, my bird dogs, and I really thought the style, my style of training is going to be very, very similar. I'm just going to use, I got to use some different stuff. And that's where this whole dog bone shed line of products came, and it came because we ran into issues, and then these were kind of the problems solving tools that we, that I, that I decided, well, I think it was easier ways to do this. So that's kind of how we got into where we are with that shed hunting stuff.
1: That's awesome. And, uh, can you tell us, we'll dive into more details on all this, but at a high level, can you tell us what those you know products are now that you've developed to solve those problems you encountered when you began training shed hunting dogs and then eventually game yeah. tracking dogs?
0: Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the biggest thing was here's, here's the story. And, and it's like, it's just, it's really funny because like, I think about it, and I've been really blessed. I'm really lucky to have gotten to be to do some of the stuff we've been able to do and get where we are right now. And it's definitely a work in progress, and it's 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 new to us. But the thing is, is I, I think a lot of stuff comes about, whether it be product stuff or, um, you know, a- anything. It comes about because people have problems and they have issues, and how how do we fix it? And and what makes things easier in life? And this was exactly how dog bone and how this shed training product line came was I, I was training these, these little bend dogs for a long time and I had a bag full of training tools and it made it a lot easier and we had a, a kind of a process and, and I, you know, followed similar steps with multiple dogs and got good results. So again, nothing out there to, to show us and walk us down the road of training a shed dog. But when you think of what a shed dog does, the similarities between a shed dog and, say, a pheasant dog are pretty, pretty striking. I mean, you got a dog that uses his nose and his eyes, quarters and casts, works out in front of you, makes retrieves based on sight or scent, and so the same exact process of what my little pheasant dog does. So when I when I went back when I when I started this out, I, I took that old I took an older dog of mine, and she was about six years old. No, she was actually she was eight years old. And I took her and cross-trained her to start picking up these sheds for me. And the way I did it was I used a hard antler. We went through a process where she was very hesitant to begin with because you got to remember, sporting dogs have a tendency to have soft mouths. And so all of a sudden I'm introducing a dog that's been picking up birds for seven years, undamaged and delivering the hand, and, and we've taught her to and brought out her natural instinct to not, have a hard mouth. We want a soft mouth dog. So I got it with the idea of, boy, I can get this. This thing will get me a retrieve because it really these retrievers don't retrieve birds because they like birds. They don't retrieve sheds because they like sheds. They retrieve stuff because they like to retrieve. And so what we can do is we can teach them, you know, certain things will get them retrieves, and that's the big reward. So we did that, and it was it was a tough. I had some issues with it with the feel of that antler in her mouth. We got through it, and, and I actually took her into the field that year and had a lot of success. Now, this was a special dog, too. This was a dog that, one of the best dogs I've I've trained in, in the last 20 years, and she was just a real nice dog, so she transitioned well. So what I did was, we found more sheds that first year with that old dog than I had found ever prior to, and I had shed on it for years before doing this with the dogs, but maybe it was luck. I don't know what it was, but we found more sheds that year with that dog than I had in the, you know, before. So it was really easy, uh, for me to, to be convinced of the idea this is, this is something we got to do. So I got excited about it. I went and I bought a pup and I bought this pup with the intentions of this is a dog I'm going to train as a shed dog from the start. So I did it. I, I brought it home, um, went through the same process that I would with any other dog. We had to get through our obedience and we had to get through some, some fundamental foundation type stuff. And we got to the point where she had she had gotten done teething, so she's about five, six months old, but she was still relatively small, and she's still relatively clumsy, and she's got that, you know, she's full of puppy. And I pitched a, a hard antler for her, and she ran up to it with a lot of excitement, which is exactly what I want with my retrievers, and she ran up to this thing, and she poked herself with it. Now, she hadn't seen an antler before. This is the first time she's picking up these hard antlers, and she jabbed herself, and she hated it. I mean, she literally, she rolled over and she yipped and she came running right back to me. And I said, you know, I, I thought, what in the world? So here she had jabbed herself. Well, her, that was her first introduction to an antler. She didn't like it. And so I thought, so I, I didn't realize what I had done there, but it actually took me a really long time. I mean, we're talking months of building up her confidence again around one of these antlers. She just, she really thought the thing bitter she didn't want anything to do with it so if you've ever heard of a gun-shy dog you know dogs aren't born gun-shy but they can be conditioned to be gun-shy mm-hmm. and we don't do it intentionally but if you introduce dogs to something in a negative way for the first time or or relatively early in the training process and it's negative boy they'll, they'll shy away from it that's how we get dogs to not do certain things we introduce it and it's got it's associated with a negative well, I had done that with this antler. And so that's what, and that was a little dog that I had named Finn, and she was just phenomenal. She ended up being just a great dog. But Finn is the reason Dog Bone came about with the, with the products. And so I decided at that point, I said, there's got to be a better way to do this. And I really went back to my thought process of how do I train these bird dogs. And bird dogs, we don't start bird dogs out in a pen with a rooster. I just don't... You're, you're going to have way too many problems. It's just not going to work. So we take steps to get them to birds. I take steps to get my shed dogs to sheds. So we came out with a training dummy that's soft. It's relatively soft. It's flexible. It won't... It. I don't have the risk of a dog having that negative introduction to the shape of an antler and to the feel of an antler. So that... I And it was... It was a prototype, man. Like, I literally, I researched it out, and this was the cool part about it was, you know, here's this old construction worker, and, all, and I'm all of a sudden trying to develop products and making phone calls and <laughs> working with a in a completely different world, and I, and I really wasn't quite used to it. So it was the exciting part from a business development part, but it was cool because once we had that dummy, I had a chance to use it, and I got a chance immediately to see how... How it was actually the dogs took to it, and it's it made my process a whole lot easier. So from that we developed some you know sense, and we you know started thinking about okay, I got this training done. mean now how do I make it smell like an antler? So it came up with a, a way to create a, and simulate the smell of an antler. So we did that, and then you know the the next thing was I had to say well. You've got products, but you need to teach. You need to be able to tell people how to do this and why they should be doing certain steps. And so I wrote a book on it, and we put it. We ended up developing over over kind of a period of time of a year from start to finish. We basically put developed the the line the initial line the dog bone, and then got into the idea of well I got to test this thing out. So we went to some consumer shows and we set up a booth and we just showed it to people and it's so funny because you know I I I remember like it was yesterday going to this show and nervous and never done it like this before and brought a couple dogs with and we set up at this show and the reaction was it was kind of motivating because i would say the vast majority of the people that walked by us had no idea what we had there. I mean, they they looked at it and they go, "What? You're you're doing what? You're you're shed hunting?" They, a lot of people didn't know what shed hunting was. Period. This wasn't that long ago. I mean, this was we're talking we're talking five or six years ago, and people were like, "You're gonna do what? You're gonna go look for sheds?" And so it was funny because at that point there was a, a the the folks once we had a chance to talk to them and explain it to them, they'd go. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. I, do you think I can do that with my dog? And then all of a sudden we get into these you nuts and bolts of the conversation of applying it to a dog. But the, the So it was real eye-opening to us, to me at that point, because I said, first off, I do think there's an interest, and I think there's an opportunity here to help people be able to do this. The second thing that was real eye-opening was we've got a big hill to climb, because it's about awareness. Now we have to we have to kind of create the awareness, not and and do some educating on our part prior to being able to try to turn this thing into a business. So that was that was got us into that first kind of real year of actually trying to uh, take some product to market.
1: That's a heck of a story, quite a quite a journey. It sounds like you've been on the past five or six years here. Yeah, now, yeah. To get it, to this point.
0: It, 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 totally, totally, and and that's. Uh, that's the cool part about it that, that that's what's that's what's fun is the idea of it was something that was really really we i was real passionate about it and thought gosh i just think it's a good idea and, and it's working for me and that was something that was really important from day one with Dogbone was if we're going to do stuff we're going to bring products out we have to bring products that make sense and we have to bring products out that work we 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 our our philosophy is we just don't want to put stuff on shelves we want to put stuff on shelves that is the best and works and and is you know going to be a a, a solution for a consumer sort of consumers issues or problems so
1: so all that being said you know we i want to hear more about specifically how you're recommending folks can can start training a shed dog and then we we haven't even started touching into the game tracking piece. But before that, before we do all that, I think that there's probably a lot of listeners and I'm wondering this too. um, I've got a couple questions at a high level. Number one, if I have a dog, can I train that dog to do both of these things, hunt sheds and track blood track deer or wounded deer? Is that possible?
0: Sure. Absolutely. We do it. We do it with. I train a lim- I train, I train dogs every year for clients. Um, I train my own personal dogs and clients' dogs. And right now, it, and it, we've seen this shift over the last like, three years, I would say nine out of ten dogs that I'm going to train these days are doing both. And that's at a minimum because, because tracking and shed hunting are two different skill sets, but the, the, this, there's a lot of similarities there as well. And so but when I say that as a minimum, What what I mean is we're going to track with the same dog that we're going to shed hunt with, but a lot of these dogs that I'm training and a lot of the dogs that are out there are also going to be bird dogs and gun dogs. You're going to use them in the fall to bird hunt with. You're going to use them in a duck blind. You're going to use them flushing, flushing pheasants. I've got one right now that we're shed hunting with, tracking, we're doing upland and waterfall. I had some really nice little duck shoots over her this last fall. She's about a year and a half old right now, so this fall is her first fall in the woods. Uh, we shot some wood ducks over her. We shot some dove over her. We picked ho- we picked sheds with her last spring already. We tracked with her this fall. That same dog I'm using as a we, we actually there's a school here locally that we take her in and we work with kids that have autism and cognitive disabilities. And we're also starting in on a, proj- on a project right now working that same dog, kind of a flagship dog here, and we're going to use her to kind of set uh, up a, a system or a, a, some type of a program where we're going to work with her as a service dog for PTSD soldiers. So we are talking a lot of stuff with the same dog, and part of the reason is is I want to show the versatility. I want to show that you do not have to say, I can't do more than just one thing with my dog. It, they are so capable of doing more than one thing and they can do a lot of stuff.
2: So if somebody had a, already had a pheasant or a, a duck dog, is there a, a way that they can be trained on like a, basically an old dog, new tricks type of thing. Mm-hmm. Can, can yes. some, a five-year-old dog be trained how to shed hunt and, and track deer?
0: I absolutely. And I call it cross training them because if you have, especially if your dog is, already trained as a gun dog or bird dog or you're doing some type of hunting with it, skill sets are, the skills are there because they're already using their nose. They're already retrieving. And, and so when, when we start talking about the, the the nuts and bolts of our training process, that training dummy that we, that we sell right now, and it's, it's part of our kit and we also offer it individually. That training dummy is for what I talked about earlier about introducing these young dogs in a safe, positive fun way for our dog it's also built with the design in mind of my older dogs i i train if you train bird dogs you use canvas bumpers you use these training dummies you use a lot of tools for training your gun dogs and your bird dogs this material that we use in our training dummy that's an antler shape is very very similar to that material that's used in most of the common training dummies for the gun dogs and the bird dogs so a the nice, the cool thing is is it's designed to cross-train your older dog in respects that it's just a new shape with a familiar feel. And for, feel is real important to these dogs. Remember I talked about my first old dog. It was the biggest struggle I had with her was getting her to have these hard things in her mouth and be okay with it. Well, that's, that's where this training dummy comes in with the older dog. So if you've got a gun dog and you've got a dog that's older, absolutely. I'm going to tell you, even if it's not formally trained as a gun dog or bird dog, you still can do it because if you can get a dog to retrieve, this is the one thing that I think is easy to convince. I think one thing, one problem that's out there is the misconception that, gosh, this is such specialties, this is such intricate. You have to be the special, you know, magic dog trainer to be able to train to find these antlers. No, At my class, my, I, I like to simplify things and say can you get a dog to go pick a tennis ball for you? Can you throw a tennis ball and have your dog chase it and bring it back? Because I can go to the park and I can watch everything from two and three year old little kids who can barely throw up to grandmas and grandpas of all spectrums of different types of people. And they, I'll go to a dog park and watch them play retrieve with tennis balls. And it didn't take a special dog trainer to do that a lot of it was natural in the dog, and we brought it out of them, or they brought it out of them. If you can do that, you can train your dog to find these antlers. You can train your dog to find the deer. Because we'll use that, we'll use a real similar approach to how you got that dog to that tennis ball for you. We're going to make it a game. We're going to make it fun. And it's not super formal. So, yeah, you can do it. And, and it's not nearly, it's nowhere near as hard as most people, I think,
1: think it is. I think that's uh. I think that's got to be pretty encouraging for a lot of people listening too, because I think to your point, Jeremy, it does seem like something, especially like, you know, from my perspective, before I got started with my own dog, it definitely seemed like an intimidating thing. And I don't, I'm not a dog trainer at all. And I was like, man, this is, it's going to be pretty slim pick chances of this actually working out, but it's not, you know, not that I have an amazing shed dog yet, but it's something that I was able to learn from some of the things that you've taught and um, elsewhere to put together the basics. Um, Right. Before we, before we dive into the shed hunting piece, I've got one more general question for you. If I'm yep. a guy that doesn't have a dog yet, but you've got me intrigued, I'm interested in, you know, getting and training a deer dog to do these two things. Mm-hmm. Is there a breed or a number of breeds that are like my best option or could I, you know, can I just take, you know, in Dan's case, he's got a Maltese. Can he take that dog and <laughs> and go shed hunting? Sure.
0: no. Good question. I and and we get that. I I hear that a lot, and we see it a lot out there. Um, and I think part of it stems from, you know, if you've if you ever watch our stuff and you and you see, you know, whether it be social media or DVDs or, uh, we're I'm using, a, a, I'm almost always working with these little English labs, these little British labs. We buy I, I get them from a kennel. They're it's called Wild Rose Kennels. They're down in Oxford, Mississippi. I've, I've bought dogs from them for 13 years, just a little over 13 years. And I've found a dog that fits really well with my training style and the stuff we're going to do with it. And and so the people, I think a lot of people assume, i got to get one of those. And you know, i got to get a dog just like that if this is what I want to do with them. And the answer is really, really simple. You need a dog it fits your style of training and fits what you're going to do with it. Just like, just like me. And that's what I found. It is not, and I I can't say it any clearer. It is not breed specific. I know guys who do this with shepherds, beagles, spaniels, pointing dogs. um, I've had, I've seen pit bulls and had people bring them to some of our shows. I've, we did a, um, we use social media as kind of as a training resource And so we try to put some training tips on there and share pictures and, and and we, we get, we try to get as interactive as we can with people that have an interest in doing this. And one of the questions that we will pose it every once in a while, because I'm always curious and it always, it it kind of, it allows, when I ask this question, I get the answer. I know the response I'm going to get. I'm not asking it for myself. I'm asking it more to show everyone else that you don't have to have the dogs we have to do this. So we asked, you know, what kind of breeds are you using with our dog bone products and having success with? And the last time we did it, we had over 50 different breeds message back. Wow. So I've I've heard it. I've heard just about all of them. I mean, I'm, obviously people will catch me off a surprise once in a while with a breed, but um, you know, the other thing that I think is really cool and we do, we've done training workshops in the past. And one thing I think is awesome and, and they have, I've seen it multiple times now where folks bring their dog to our training workshop well I've seen it where it, you know we always get into the we get into the nuts and bolts of dogs as the day goes on and I've had multiple dogs come to our workshop that were rescue dogs they really don't know exactly what breed they are i mean they've got they've got natural some natural retrieve in them they you know there's some type of retriever in them you can tell kind of by the look of them a little bit but they don't know exactly what breed they are and they were literally were rescued from their shelter, local shelter and the coolest the, it's just awesome because i've seen some of those dogs excel and they do really really well so it is not something that you know our dog the dogs i train and the dogs i train for my clients um are are very very what i'm going to say from a genetic standpoint very solid they're they're you know it's 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 something that from a health standpoint, and I think that's a really important part of it, and the performance standpoint, what, what traits have been bred into them? Those are things that I've found with these wild rose dogs, and that's just, just the preference. Um, but as far as what you're looking for, I think you're looking for a dog that has good natural game-finding ability, a good nose, and all dogs have good noses. Some have better than others. I think it helps to have a dog with some type of natural retrieve. Uh, it's it's one less thing you have to train the dog. I've never trained one of these re- little retrievers to retrieve. They do it naturally. We just have to bring it out of them, and we have to teach a little bit of a formal delivery to them, so we get dogs that run straight out straight back and all that. That's just forming habits. But the actual retrieve part of it is a lot of times genetic. Um, I think health is a really important thing to look at when you start thinking about, do I want to go get one of these dogs, or am I going to go get a pup to do this with? Because the reality is, is you, when you get a dog, you're getting a family member. You're going to have a dog that's going to be with you for a while. And so health is important, not only from a, from your wallet standpoint, because, boy, vets can get expensive, trust me, but also from the standpoint of, you know, you're going to, like you said, it's your family member. You're going to have this little pup with you for a long time, and I don't want to go through it any more than I need to, if I can help it or avoid it, it it's it's tough emotionally if you've got pups that come in with issues as far as from a genetic health standpoint where you know you hear about the dogs that have bad hips you hear about dogs that have certain diseases a lot of them are 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 traced back genetically and uh it gets to be hard it gets hard to have to deal with a dog and, and lose a dog that way it's hard enough losing a dog to old age it's real hard losing one you know when you know they're not old enough to that point and it's a lot like losing a kid you know it's just they are a part of the family
1: yeah yeah i can't imagine with uh with our own dogs i'm not looking forward to not looking forward to whenever that does happen that's yeah that's that's gonna be tough yeah so so let's say we've got a dog now let's say it's puppy and we want to turn that dog let's start first turn to a shed dog how do we start what's the training as much as you can share in a couple minutes you know how does how do we start that training process
0: Three, three steps, okay? here's here's We'll give you the old cliff note version. Here is here is what I think, and this is where I emphasize the idea of don't complicate this. This is not something that needs to be. I've had so many people uh, through seminars, and um, well, we do a lot of them. We go around, and we, we, we talk about the training process, and we jam it into an hour, and, and we cover a whole lot of stuff in an hour. But when we do that, I, what's really satisfying to me is I hear it a lot, People will come up after and go, oh, I loved that seminar. It was really good. And I go, oh, I'm really happy you say that. You know, obviously it makes me feel good to hear that. But I'll, I'll, I'll ask them, what did you like about it? You know, what did you, what did you feel like was the most important part? And so the thing that 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 kind of helps to steer me to try to make it better the next time. And the answer that we get a lot of times is, and I hear it over and over and over again is. What I like about it is the way it's kind of a simple approach you're taking. You're not. They their thought coming into it was, I'm wait I'm going to be overwhelmed. I'm going to be overwhelmed by the steps and the process, and you got to do all this different stuff to get these dogs to to the end point. And he's and and what I hear a lot is, I like your approach because it's relatively simple. And we we tr- we try to do that on purpose. So when we break it down, I break it down into three main parts and there's lots of little little parts in between but there's a couple things that are important to understand dogs learn by incremental training so all we're going to do when we start training these dogs is we're going to start imprinting things and then we're going to build off of that you can't go with a dog you can't go from a to z you cannot speed train dogs and i i i dig in my heels when it comes to that because i hear a lot of folks say oh you know how long should this be taking? How many weeks do I work on this? At what months do I do this? There is no set there's no answer to that. You can't I don't believe that you can send a dog away for a three month program and have it come back at at this point in training. But if you send it for six months, it comes back at this training. that's I don't buy into that because no two dogs develop the same way. and our training process it, it they kind of set the pace of the training. So, and there's certain things that dogs will be able to do at certain ages, and they can't do it prior, whether it be physical or mental. They just can't do it. So, what we try to do is, okay, three major steps of a shed dog. The first thing is the shape of the antler. We have to have that dog understand that that shape is going to get them a reward. It's going to get them a treat. It's going to get them, the treats for my dogs are rewards, or retrieves. That's the ultimate reward. So, Shape is first. We're going to add scent to it second. We've got to get this dog It's going to use his eyes, we're going to start out with the eyes, and it's going to be visual, and it's going to be very easy. It's going to be, we're going to build off of that success. Then we're going to start adding some scent to it and start making it smell like a shed. And, you know, the big thing is is that we see is folks get in a rush, and they go, oh, I'll throw it for a couple of days, and the dog will bring it back to me, and then I'll hide it in a 40-acre field and see if they can find it. You just set your dog up to sale. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. So get, but you're going to eventually be able to hide that 40-acre field and the dog will find it. But we'll take these little baby steps in between. So shape first, scent second, and eventually we're going to get to the feel, the hard antler. So when you look at it from that, when you look at, when you explain it to someone that way, they go, oh, that makes sense. You know, that makes sense. And I think, I don't think that's so intimidating. But now, what I gotta say is, now that process might take months, might take a year, might take weeks. Totally depends on your dog. Totally depends on where they are as far as their age. And the the first and foremost thing when it comes to training a shed dog is this: it, it's it's the same whether it's a shed dog, a tracking dog, a drug dog, a bomb dog, a police dog, a upland dog, a gun dog. It doesn't matter. Any working dog, the, the good ones all have. A couple things in common and that is they all have a strong basic foundation of obedience because we have to have that and here's why I say it have to have it if you watch our we've done some DVDs and we've got our book that we sell and all that there's gonna be a bunch of drills in there that we're gonna show you how to do that are gonna get you to that 40 acre field of a hidden shed but in order to do those drills there's certain things that you have to have your dog able to do Heal, sit, stay, and hear or recall. Those four things. And that's not that hard to do. And we break that down and we kind of show you how to do that. We're actually going to be filming a DVD exclusively on those four steps. It's going to be the most solid foundation DVD out there. We're going to film it this spring. Because what I found is folks are getting our DVD, but they're going, I love the DVD, but my dog's not quite there. So what we want to do is let's get them there. So we're gonna we're gonna build that this spring for them. But we do cover a lot of that basic obedience stuff um, in our booklet, and we cover some of the early stuff in in both the other DVDs. But if you can get your dog to have that solid foundation, you can get your dogs to do anything, and they're way more enjoyable because when you have that obedience, you can take them anywhere. You can have them in the house. You can have them to the kids' soccer games. You can do all the stuff year-round with them. And then when it comes to the shed hunting part, that shape, the scent, and the feel, you can do all the drills. So I, it sounds boring, but the, the real the reality is is if you want to get started, have that good foundation. And so if you've got an older dog, people ask all the time, is it, is it tougher to do it with an old dog or a pup? I don't think it's harder one way or the other. I think you have advantages of doing it one way or the other. If you've got a puppy, you don't have any bad habits, you, you, relatively few. You've got kind of a blank slate there to work with. What you can do is start out right away putting in good habits. The bad part about the puppies are you have to build that foundation. That heel, sit, stay in here. You got to do all that stuff before you get into a lot of the real fun stuff, what people think is the fun stuff. So it takes a little bit while. It takes a little while to do it with those young pups. The nice part about the old dog is they, most of the time, they have that foundation. So if there's a listener here that's got a dog at home and they go, Huh, my dog knows how to heel, sit, stay, and come when I call it, you get right to the fun stuff. So that one, you're gonna like that one a lot more because it's now you get into the good stuff, you get into the shape, you get into the scent, you get into the feel. So there's upside and downside to, to both young pups and older dogs, but across the board, it, it's it's regardless of the age of the dog, they gotta, I believe they have to have that good foundation in order to have success.
2: So here's what I'm imagining, all right? I'm imagining I have a shed dog. And I go out to the timber, and I'm, and I'm basically letting my dog do the the work. How likely uh-huh. is it that you clean up, you clean house? Obviously, you have to have the sheds on your property to find sheds. Yeah. But yep. are these are these dogs? If you know, let's say it's a, an average to a good dog, are they going out and finding every shed on on the property, or are they are they missing some because of the scent's worn off of the antler over time, or? Give us kind of like a realistic scenario of what's happening when you go out with one of these dogs.
0: I I think, personally, I don't think that, I think it's a misconception that because we've got a good shed dog, we can sit in the truck and drink coffee and just let the dog fill the back of the truck up. I think a lot of people think that's how it works. And, and I will be the first person to say it doesn't. I, I, I think, are you going to find more sheds if you train your dog to shed hunt? I think you will. And, and to what degree is it a four to one ratio or a three to one? I, I don't know. I, I you touched on a really important point there when you said you got to have the sheds in order to find them, whether it's you or the dog. So the the best shed dog in the world won't find sheds if there aren't any sheds there. It, it's it's proven. I, trust me, I've tried it. It won't work. So <laughs> what happens is, <laughs> we, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like uh-huh. a lot of a lot of time where we don't find sheds. But the thing is is when you take that pup out or when you take that dog out, you're going to go, I have found, this is my this is my personal feeling, I have found that I definitely find more antlers with the dogs than opposed. And the reason is, I think, for a couple reasons. The first thing is, if you've shed hunted before, and I really believe shed hunting, there's a reason why some shed hunters, always find sheds. I mean, you're in in Europe. There are guys out there that pick a lot of horns up. And I think it's because there's an art. There's somewhat of an art to shed hunting. When you go to look for shed, you don't look for a shed. You look for a tip of a tine or the curve of a main beam or the pedicle, the bumps on a pedicle. It's just small, tiny, minute details that you're scanning the woods for. It's a lot like morel mushroom hunting. Like, before I'm a mushroom, I just started mushroom hunting in the last couple of years. And I love it because it's kind of like shed hunting to me. But So when I go through the woods, all of a sudden, the last couple of years, I started finding these mushrooms. I looked, I walked through the woods for 30 years and never found a morale mushroom. you telling me I never walked past one? I <laughs> guarantee you I did. But I didn't know what I was looking for. I didn't realize that you look for certain things and patterns in nature that all of a sudden, and all of a sudden when you see one, they just start appearing. I mean, they're all right there, but they just, it's the same thing with sheds. And so it's funny because I've noticed it myself for sure. And I've talked with a lot of really good shed hunters and they all kind of have the same thing to say. When you start going out in the woods and you start finding them, you're going to find more. Because you're training your eyes, and your eyes are starting to, you sh- you totally shift your mindset when you're in the woods, when you're shed hunting. And when if you can do that, and you can focus and concentrate that way, you will find more than the next guy. I think it's true with the dogs. So when I go out with the dogs, I and, and I think a lot of it has to do with confidence. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've gone shed hunting, where I left the truck. And, you know, it's kind of a short window. we have only got so many weeks to shit good shed hunting. So I leave the truck and, and I walk off and I, I'm in a spot that I, there should be some, some sheds there. And I walk out and I say to myself, what in the world am I doing? I'm wasting my time. I'm not going to find one here. You know how likely it is that I will find one if that's the way I think and that's how I'm kind of, my feeling is going into it? I'm not going to find one. But if I walk out and I, and I see the same farm and I go, there are sheds in there, and I'm going to find them. I just, I'm gonna have to. There's got to be some here. And as I'm watching and looking, my focus is there, and I'm tuned into it. I'm kind of in that zone. And all of a sudden, boom! I found one. Well, I am so likely to find another one after I found the first one because I am that much more focused on it. My mind is nowhere else but looking for sheds. So when I that's that's without a dog. Now when I go with a dog, here's what happens. I feel so confident that we are going to find sheds that I believe that you kind of self-prophesize the success as well as the failure. And when I go out and I have a dog and I go, we're not missing any sheds. We, if they are here, we're going to find them. I think my focus is that much sharper. I feel that much more confident that we're going to find them. And I think we have a tendency to do better from a percentage standpoint if that's the mindset we have when we take the field. There's, so that's one thing. Another thing I think is important is it's a lot like I always say the guy that shoots the most ducks usually has a good duck dog. It just, just seems like if you think of your groups of friends, guys who shoot the most birds usually got a pretty good dog. Well, is it because they've got a dog that they shoot more birds? No, it has nothing to do with that. I think it has to do with the guy who's got a good duck dog usually gets invited to some of the best spots to duck hunt because if you've got a good dog, you are a welcome partner in this hunt if you've got a good shed dog, you'll be surprised how many people come out of the woodwork. Oh, well, <laughs> you can shed down on my land. You know, would you come with me and walk mine? And all of a sudden, you're in some spots. That if you didn't have that shed dog, you're not welcome. You're not necessarily the one that's getting invited. It's the dog that's getting invited. You just get to go along with. <laughs> and I see that more often than not. And when you put yourself in a better spot, you're going to find more sheds. The other thing is, I I shed hunt. If I I wish I really should... I wish I would have kept tabs on the amount of hours I spent in the field shed hunting prior to the dogs. Because I I feel like I spent an eternity in the woods looking for antlers and not finding many, if any, at all. Well, as soon as I got the dog and I got the idea of I'm going to train this dog to do it and I had some success with it, I will guarantee you I spend a lot more hours in the field shed hunting than I used to. Because it's not only for me anymore and now it's for my dog and I have a lot more fun with it and it's a good exercise for it's all these different reasons to get me into the field more often and I think it's uh, without a doubt you do anything more often you're going to find more success you're going to get better at it so uh, for those reasons you go into the woods with your dog are you going to clean that woods up it, it's a combination it falls back on you and your dog how good are you at shed hunting and how many sheds are actually there but I would say I will put my money on a guy that's a shed hunter with a dog over a guy that's shed hunting by himself and maybe not necessarily that focused into it all day long. The guy with the dog's going to find more. I mean, the dogs cover a lot of ground. They use their nose. They use their eyes. That's all uh, real obvious stuff. But all these other things that I was talking about, I think those are things that a lot of people don't even think about.
1: Yeah, I can see it. it's kind of a compounding effect that the dog's going to find a lot of sheds, but also, you know, like you said, just by having that out there, it might, you know, help you personally to find more yourself. So that's a pretty interesting, pretty interesting. So, so I want to kind of summarize what I think I picked up there from you overall, and then I've got a little more advanced question. So, sure. So at a, at a, at the core to get started training a shed dog, right? You talked about you need to have that base of obedience. And then you need to introduce them to a safe, you know, antler experience. So get them excited, maybe using a dummy or something that's not going to be a negative experience, get them excited about that. Then start introducing the scent. Now they can start associating that with the scent of an antler. And then eventually, you know, start hiding the sheds, maybe in the yard or the house. And as they pick that up and start retrieving it, then eventually you can expand. And maybe then after, you know, seeing success in that way for a while, then maybe start going out into a grassy field or the woods or whatever it might be. Right. now let's say we've done incremental that.
0: Incremental training. Incremental yeah. training. Yep, absolutely.
1: So let's say yeah. we, we've we've gotten to the point where I can go out into and I'm gonna say this is exactly the situation, you know, to a degree that I'm in with my dog. You know, I've gotten to the point with Boone that, you know, I'm I'm at the point where I'm planting real sheds out in the middle of the woods or a forty acre field, and we'll go out there and nine times out of ten, he's finding that shed. But yeah. But my question then is when I take him out, you know, into a non-planted area where I haven't, you know, I haven't walked and I haven't put sheds, um, you know, here in Michigan, there aren't a whole lot of sheds to find in in a lot of spots, at least I have access to. So I start wondering two things. Number one, is my dog finding these sheds that I plant because he's tracking my own scent? Is he starting to associate my personal scent with the antler and that's what he's finding? And then when we're out in the woods where my own scent isn't there, you know, is he not then finding those antlers because of that? And number two, you know, I worry about the focus. Is he, you know, how do you improve the focus of, of your dog? So my question is, once we have the basics, sure. once they can find planted sheds, how do I make sure that my dog has all the tools necessary to take that into the field, maintain that focus, and find antlers in a wild environment? Is there anything sure. advanced we can do?
0: Yeah, so I'll tackle it two parts. I'll tackle the first part with the questioning of the scent. Is he tracking you? Is he smelling your scent? Here's here's the thing, and it it really it this is the same kind of this is what I really had to dig into myself when it came to tracking training tracking dogs because I'll tell you right now I learned more about training the track the I learned the most uh, about training tracking dogs. From a cop that trained canine unit dogs in New York City, had nothing. To, he, he he has nothing to do with formerly deer hunting or deer tracking. Doesn't track for deer at all with his dogs. But he uses shepherd dogs and he trains them to track criminals. And he'll train them to track criminals through the streets in New York based off of dead skin cells. I mean, it, uh, unbelievable scenting in terror in incredibly difficult scenting conditions, and he has success with his dogs and. And so I met this guy at a deer show. I met him at the ATA show, actually, a couple of years ago. And I learned so much from him about how dogs process scent. And so that helped me with my training for tracking. So when I, after realizing that, boy, it really opened up my eyes to scenting in general. So when we start talking about training dogs to find shed antlers, when we start training dogs to find birds or anything based on a scent element. Here's what we got to understand. Dogs don't smell like we smell. Dogs' noses don't work the way our noses work. Dogs smell in layers. And dogs have the ability to separate scent. And so what we do is, I walk in, Say, here's, here's an example. I walk into the kitchen, and Steph is making pea soup here at my house. So when I walk in, I smell pea soup. And when I bring my dog into the same room, the dog smells. First of all, their sense of smell is just super, it's so acute, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of times what we can smell. So everything is intense. Well, when that dog walks into that kitchen, it doesn't smell pea soup. It smells peas it smells carrots it smells salt it smells pepper it smells celery it smells every single ingredient in that soup and it can separate those scents so when you start thinking about how our dogs smell you know when we train i've got a training bag and i've got a bunch of stuff in the training bag and the thing about scent is everything smells when you walk across the grass not only do we leave scent off of our boots or shoes, not only are there skin cells coming off of us, not only does whatever we touched prior to that get deposited into that area. When you bend over grass, you break the grass. Well, that creates a different scent than non-broken grass. When there's ground that's disturbed, freshly disturbed, ground smells different than non. these are all scent clues for dogs. But you've got to remember, they process this stuff constantly all day long. So they're they're sorting through scents, like we're sorting through visually, just through life. I mean, the thing about it, like, here's another scenario, a drug dog or a bomb dog. When a drug dog, I, I, I've seen this done, where they'll take a bag of dope, they'll put it in, they'll wrap it up in plastic, they'll tape it. I mean, they tape this thing tight, airtight. Then they'll take it and they'll put it in a vehicle's gas tank, and they'll float it in that gas tank. And then what they do is they just drive that car past a drug dog and the drug dog alerts. How in the world does that dog, how is it able to go through all of that stuff and still be able to pick out the scent of that dope and be able to alert to it? Well, the answer is simple. That dog smells everything in, in layers and sorts them all out. And so when it comes to you training with your dog in the field, if you put antlers out there first off i think it's important to be using shed antlers don't use cutoffs because here's here's the thing about now we're going to get into the science of what smells on a shed so bone smells bone has scent to it and you'll see it especially with young dogs young dogs will pick up bones and they'll bring them back to you don't discourage that praise them for it tell them how good they are pick that bone up and throw it when they're not watching and walk away from it but the thing is is if you trained your dog to find antlers, antler is a bone. And when your dogs smell bones, bones have the same scent as your antler. So the antler, so the, the bone's got scent to it and it always will. It'll never lose it it'll never lose that. It's always gonna have scent. But when you've got antlers that are fresh dropped or this year's drops, they have other elements that are gonna be pretty strong. That when calcification takes place and the antler separates from the deer's head, there's blood there. I mean, we've seen it in the snow where a shed lay, and there's blood all over. Well, the deer bleeds for a little bit. What else is there? There's hair. Look at the base of a shed, a fresh shed this year. You're gonna see a bunch of stuff in that base and that pedicle. That's all that scent for a dog. So when you start, if a guy, if a, if, if guys or gals are using cutoffs, offs cut-off antlers, you got the shape, you got the scent of the bone, but you cut off. What I'm going to say is the majority of a fresh shed's scent. So don't, don't use cutoffs. Use real sheds. Use fresh sheds if you can. The other thing is is we don't want to be cutting it because when you, if you ever cut an antler, I mean, you've cut, cut antlers off before. What does it smell like? It, it reeks. Mm-hmm. It's like burnt hair. I mean, it's just it's awful. Well, if I can smell that, remember how strong my dog's nose is? If I can smell that, my dog will smell it too. And so what you're doing is not only are you eliminating the real scent, but you're creating a scent that's not natural to a shed antler. So when we're training our dogs, we're trying to introduce all these scent clues, and these scent clues are part of the puzzle that equals the reward. So when we train, is our scent going to get on it? And I don't try, I don't intentionally try to put my scent on it, but I don't waste my time trying to eliminate it because here's, here's the reality. You will not be able to. You're not going to if if, as soon as you eliminate the scent and then you put it back in your training bag and touch it again, you just put scent on it. So the scent, your scent's always going to be there, but the antler scent is always going to be there as well. And if we enhance the antler scent with our training scents, that means there's all sorts of layers there for our dogs to be able to pick up on. The repetition of that is going to teach that dog that all of these scents lead me to this. When you start peeling some of those layers off, where well, you get into the, into the field with it, isn't antlers that have never been touched before. The scent that is still on that antler, as long as you trained it that way, that scent was there when you were training as well. So we just peeled a couple layers of scent off, but there's still familiar scents from your training that are there. So you know, I've, had, I've, I've heard guys say, well, just wear rubber gloves. You know, That'll eliminate your scent. First of all, it won't eliminate your scent. But it might minimize your scent. But the thing about rubber gloves that what do rubber gloves smell like?
1: Got that latex I smell. Like smell. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I can smell that. If I, I guarantee you your dog can smell it. So you're masking one scent and putting a different scent on it. I, The idea about the fear of the dogs working off of us, to me, I don't buy it. If you do enough repetition in your training and slowly peel the layers back to get the dogs to understand that, there might be a thousand cents involved with that antler when you're training, but when it's out in the wild, there might be down to a couple hundred cents as long as those couple hundred cents are there when you're training you're gonna be fine. The dog will make that transition. It's no different than bird dogs when when guys train bird dogs, they don't wear rubber gloves on the canvas bumpers they don't you limit they don't wash the canvas bumpers they don't wash their pheasants you know they're dead birds. I don't know I think the the problem with that idea was because guys just weren't really thinking about how dogs process scent and how they truly are using their nose to pick up clues
1: and when you explain it like that it, it does make a lot of sense and uh that's good to know i think from their system you'll just spend
0: a... more t- uh, trust me you'll spend way more time trying to keep scent off than you will train them and <laughs> that you don't get anywhere that way so um but yeah so that 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 is a the answer scent wise what was the second question you had
1: you wanted it was just uh you know is there any way to improve a dog's focus or is that just inherent genetic you know sure. some dogs are just sure. going to be you know that when they go out there in the field they have a mission and they're on it and some dogs will just you no. know be into it for a half hour or an hour and then they'll kind of fade off is there any way to improve that
0: yes great question and and so here's here's how i would approach that I, and i think that part of it is more maturity than anything, the younger dogs will have shorter focuses, shorter attention spans, and as a trainer, I think it's important to set them up for success. So you gotta understand, you gotta be able to kind of gauge your dog's level uh, of focus and kind of train accordingly and hunt accordingly. So don't don't take the young dogs out for the first time on a four-hour walk uh, looking for sheds because you, you're just not gonna gain their focus the whole time what you want to do is start out with real short walks and, and as successful as can be. And here's how I like to keep their focus in. And we, we see it. It's kind of like, you know, it goes up and down as, as the hunt goes on. But the best way that I found is when we get out, I'm going to take a little shed antler with me and just put it in my pocket. And, you know, we've been training and we've had these dogs picking these up and they understand you get out in a 15, 20, 30 minute lesson is a lot for most dogs. So when we train, we train in relatively short increments. But when I get out in the field, I'm going to put a little shed in the back pocket. And as we get working, if my if, in, in this comes back to reading your dog, if you read in your dog that the dog is losing focus and kind of tuning itself back out, that's the time where you want to use this little shed to your advantage. So I'll pitch that shed, and I'll just circle the pup downwind. And I'll let the dog get downwind of it. And all of a sudden, I'll give it its little hunt command. We say, find it. So I'll say, find it, find it, find it, find it. And when it hears me, when my dog hears me say, find it, something's going to be found. They know that because we've trained that into them. So they start using that nose. And they start getting that excitement. And you read their body language. And the tail gets going. The ears get going. And all of a sudden, they get downwind. They find that little antler for you. And they bring it back. And you love them up and tell them how good they are. Now watch the focus for the next 10, 15, 20 minutes, they're, all of a sudden they're, hey, there is going to be another one of these. There's another, this is what we're here for. It's kind of that reminder. So use it as often or as as few times as needed, but you kind of got to gauge that on, on how you read your dog. And so that is, that is the best way I've found to keep these dogs focused. First off, short lessons and short hunts, uh, especially early on. And then as things get going and we get into these, keep them excited about it. The other thing is, the other thing is, is and I, I laugh because it's it's so true. Some guy told me this. I wish I had come up with it, but it wasn't my idea. But I, I use it all the time. What I don't know what it is, but when we're shed hunting and we see a shed antler, what is our first reaction? <laughs> like my my reaction is, I sprint to that antler, like I run to it because. I don't know why, but I'm so excited. I got to get to it. I got to pick it up. The reality is that shed's not going anywhere. It's not like it's going to run off on you. So I have to really focus and say, don't run and pick this thing up. Instead, that is the perfect. That's the best training tool. That's the best planted shed antler you're going to find because nobody else planted it but that deer. So now use it as use it to your advantage. Get your do the exact same thing. Get the dog downwind of it. You saw it. Set the dog up for success, and watch as your dog's confidence builds after you find a couple like that. I don't care if I see it first or not, as long as my dog tunes in and picks it up. Now we're rocking and rolling, and you'll see that all of a sudden it just clicks and makes sense for the dog.
1: Yeah, that's that's an awesome thing to see too. So, I'll tell you one thing. First off, right now you've got me really pumped up. Like I wish if I if I didn't want to talk to you, which I do, but if I didn't, I'd want to grab my dog and go outside right now and start working with him because I'm reinvigorated sure. and excited. But um, sure. but we are running up on time here, and I want to make sure we touch on training dogs to track game and also how to you know how to best use someone else who is a tracking dog so yep. i want to first i want to first cover that guy because if someone's listening today and they don't own a dog yet and maybe they don't necessarily want to buy one yet but they do want to know a little bit about you know how to utilize someone who does have a game tracking dog can you give us a few sure. tips or pointers for you know what you should keep in mind if you shoot a deer? and maybe based on the hit or anything you think hey maybe I want to call someone to help me out here what would you yeah. tell that guy what does that guy need to know about game tracking dogs
0: so the first the first thing is is i think it's and i'm i'm so i'm really grateful you're doing this because i think one of the problems out there right now is is the the lack of awareness when it comes to these game recovery dogs and the reality is and you guys are Michigan i'm Wisconsin um, both legal tracking states um, and so the first thing is, is a lot of folks don't realize that you can do it. Here, I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that when it comes to a tracking dog or a game recovery dog, I don't believe there is a better tool, more effective tool, to finding a deer that is mortally wounded. I, I will put a dog up against any tracker any day of the week, and I will put, I'll bet what I can, whatever I got on on that dog. And so I think it's just such a, from a hunter standpoint. From us as hunters and our kind of responsibility when it comes to if we're going to shoot an animal, we really owe it to that animal to do everything in our power to find it. And so, the dog is, I think, the most effective tool. Now, putting that aside, what do you do and how do you go about it if you don't have a dog? And and I will say this: there are some really good trackers in Michigan. There's a group I I do I do. I learned a lot from them and we talked to them It's the Michigan deer tracking homes and they are phenomenal. They've got phenomenal records. They've got awesome history as far as client success. And there's several groups in Michigan that, that do it. There's several people in Wisconsin that do it. And so, and I, and that's true throughout the, the U S and, and really through the Midwest and in the Northeast. And it's, it's, it's growing. And that's what we're trying to do is grow the awareness of it. But, There's a group called the United Blood Trackers, and they're a nonprofit. And they've got a website that, if you hit a deer and you are going to have, and it's marginal, and you don't, you either tried tracking it and have lost blood, or you don't want to push it because you know it's a marginal hit. There's a website that you can go to, and it's the the United Blood Trackers, and they have a, a link there that you click on. It's find a tracker, and it will it will give you a list of trackers that are members of their group that are potentially in your area. So first of all, that's a good way of finding a tracker. The other way is, you know, obviously it's a a, a small community and it's a community that word of mouth travels quickly as far as the hunters go. So it, it, by tracking, finding one, you know, finding a tracker is usually a call to your sports shop or your taxidermist, and they'll usually be able to point you in the right direction. Now, when it comes to that, the, the do's and don'ts, and there are some, and I'm not a tracking service, I I don't have the capability to do it in the fall i'm too busy i just don't have the time um but i know guys that do so i get a lot of calls can you track this deer you know because they find us on the, on the webs on our website or they find us through face facebook or different ways and they get tracked they get led to us well i point people depending on where they are and where they're from i'll point them in directions and give them numbers and i'll help out in any way i can um but i think the thing is is if you've got a deer a tip and it's questionable it's marginal the biggest thing and it's it's sometimes probably the most difficult part is back out don't push that deer and it's for multiple reasons now this is this is my opinion and and you'll talk with some trackers that are under the opinion and not necessarily dog trackers but just people following deer there are some people out there they just keep pushing the deer because you when a deer lays down it's trying to stop the bleeding and and so if you keep the, the wound open, it'll eventually bleed out. I'm against that. And the reason is is because I've seen deer do incredible things when they're mortally wounded, mortally wounded or non-mortally wounded. I've seen deer do incredible things with adrenaline fueling them. And when we track them and push them and bump them, that adrenaline, that, that deer's desire for survival is unrivaled. So I don't want to push them. And the other reason is is ninety nine percent of the time with myself and with other people, you're limited with maybe the acreage that you can go so if you hit a deer and you push it off the property, you might your chance the deer might die, and your chances of recovering it might significantly drop because it's you can't go in there or you don't have permission or some for some whatever reason it is so I'm gonna say the biggest thing is back out and try to get a hold of a tracker as quickly as possible. You've got a couple of things working against you time, and potentially weather. So people, you know, it, it, people always get fearful of rain. And the reality of it, rain, as long as it's not a gully washer, rain's not bad for a track. Rain brings the scent out for our dogs. So especially a light rain. So don't I don't get so worried, but when I say the weather, I mean if you're going to get a huge gully washer, if you're going to have... Uh, a dry, bony day, and it's real windy, that's tough on, on scenting conditions for our dog. So the biggest thing is I want to get a, get a hold of a guy as quick as possible so that they can see if it's a scheduling thing and it'll work for them. But the other thing is is we don't want to go in and we don't want to contaminate that trail because it will significantly decrease your likelihood of finding it. If you go in and disturb everything, it just makes it so much harder on our dogs so, you know, a good tracking dog is a good problem solver. They're like, if they were people, they make real good cops. Like they'd go in there and they would look at this scene and they'd find all these little clues. And that would help them follow that trail. It's all scent clues. And so, uh, you know, obviously for us, sometimes there's visual clues to these deer. Well, for our dogs, the scent is always going to be there. So don't disturb it. Don't, don't try not to contaminate the line. And then get out of there as quick as possible, so you don't push it. Don't. It's a lot nicer to track a deer a quarter mile than three miles, you know. So uh, don't push them and, and uh, get a hold of the tractor as quick as possible.
2: So what is the what is the dog actually um, actually smelling? Because um, myself and Mark both lost deer last year and mm-hmm. i called up a uh, a couple trackers and i wasn't able to um get one in my area in in um in a clo- in a, i guess a a decent amount of time but sure. uh is it i i've been told it's actually the blood i've been told there's a gland in their foot that will extract a scent when it's wounded could could you clarify that
0: sure sure so so when it's what is the dog actually smelling is i believe it's a whole bunch of stuff it, when it comes to a track, when it comes to following a wounded deer. So there are there are multiple scent clues that are real easy to distinguish, real easy to call out from from a deer, from a science standpoint. So blood smells, blood's got scent. But the reality is, is and, a, and a lot of people think, oh, you, you know, your dog's just tracking on blood. Here's the thing. If there's blood, you don't need a dog because if there's blood, Someone will be able to follow it. It's when you lose blood that you don't that you need the dog to come in. So blood is a scent, part of a scent clue. It, but the thing about blood is when blood rolls off, when blood rolls off of an animal, it rolls across the hide. Well, when it rolls across the hide, scent is created by bacteria. And so when it, when the blood rolls off, blood's got scent to it. No doubt about it. It's got an iron smell like to us it would be like an irony smell based on what it's made up and the science of it but when it rolls across hide it picks up bacteria from that hide that creates scent so there's there's scent clues hair itself smells there's scent in there there's bacteria on hair that has scent to it that's part of the clues Um, when you talk about that gland in between the hooves it's an interdigital gland each deer has one every deer's got one and the thing about the interdigital land is it's a lot like a person's f- fingerprints. So we all have our own unique fingerprint. No two people have the same one. No deer has the same s- scent. They all smell their own unique way. And it's, and it's crazy to think this, but my, your, your dog, my dog, Tracker's dog's noses are so sensitive, they can, they can separate the individual deer scents. So when a dog was on a track, the re- reason I say that is when a dog was on a track, a lot of the times it's twelve, sixteen, twenty four hours later. without a doubt, there are other deer that will cross that track and and they create we do it, we train for it, and we create these distractions intentionally. But what we're doing is we're teaching our dogs that they're gonna have to sift through these distractions, and they're gonna have to focus on that that older track that was created by that specific deer. That specific deer has its own scent and comes out of that interdigital gland, so that's that's part of it. A wounded animal puts off a scent that that a non wounded animal does not, does not put off, and it comes from adrenaline. I mentioned adrenaline earlier, how adrenaline can be the worst enemy because it can push a deer so far and it can give them so much strength and it just it's unbelievable what you know how it is when you get pumped up, and boy, that adrenaline can really make you do things that you didn't think you could do. Well, same is true with these deer. The thing about adrenaline is, is it smells. It's not, we can't smell it, but our dogs can. So when there's adrenaline laying on the ground, that's a scent clue that this is the right trail. When when a deer runs through the woods, it kicks up the ground. Sometimes we can visually track it that way. Well, when it, well, I mentioned it earlier, when that ground is freshly disturbed, it's a scent. There's scent associated with it. When branches get broken and twigs get snapped, there's scent that's created that is not there if it weren't broken. Those are all scent clues that are part of this track for our dog. And so in our training, we try to expose them to as much of that as possible. Um, but it, there's so ma- There's only so many. Way- there's only so many things we can do to do that in training. So once we get to that point, and we get these dogs following these cold tracks and these, these simulated trails. Well. I really believe the best way to get a dog to understand this, the end game and this whole tracking thing is to, by, by putting them on tracks. I have to put them on, deer tra- on on actual tracking jobs so that they can take all the pieces and put them together. And each track or trailing job is going to be a little bit different. They're all going to have a little bit different sense. And so experience is, in my opinion, the only true way to finish out a dog. I won't let young dogs go on marginal hits. I, I won't do it, because my fear is that we're not going to have success. If we don't find that deer, my dog looks at me and goes, wait a minute, you told me there was something here, because every time we do this drill, we find something at the end, I get the reward, you praise me, all this. You told me that it was going to be here, and if we don't find it, my dog's going to look at me and go, uh ah, I don't know if he's, when he tells me, I don't know if it's, gonna, if it's true or not. I don't want my dog calling BS on me. So what I'll do is with a young dog, I'm going to take, and when I say young dog, I mean the first season or two of tracks. I'm going to start out with the ones that the guy comes in and he goes, I saw the deer tip over, a double lunged it, it, went 75 yards, it fell over. Perfect. Now I'm going to take that young dog, and it's going to be easy. But the thing is, is it's going to be successful. And I'm a big believer in when it comes to training dogs, I think you have to have success in your lessons because you can kill a dog's spirit if you set him up to fail and one thing that's really important as a trainer and this goes to whether you're a professional trainer or you are the most novice trainer of all I think a lot of success goes back to it's a partnership it's you and the dog you're a team no different with that shed hunting when we're talking about the confidence levels grow with both it's very true with the tracking dogs so I think it is a very, very important element that's oftentimes overlooked. I think people say, well, just train me a dog and give it to me, and it'll track for me. It won't work. Most times it won't work because they're not computers. We can't just program them and hand them off. We have to read the dog and understand what the dog is, how the dog is working, when the dog gets off track, and how can we help him get back on track. We're definitely a team when it comes to a tracking dog and a tracker. Um, and I think
1: that's really important. So that all, makes, that all makes a lot of sense, and it's got me now thinking about the idea of how I might be able to do the same thing with my own dog too. So before we run out of time here, can you give us like a five-minute or less cliff notes version of how to get started training a dog to do this? Because we've talked about what to do if you don't have a dog, and we've talked about how dogs do it, but now let's say I do have a dog. Sure. Real quick, sure. how do I get started training this? Because it sounds pretty complicated, maybe even more complicated than training a shed dog.
0: It it sounds like it. It isn't, Mark. I'm telling you right now, it's easier. Here's why. It is so natural to our dogs to track. It Tracking dogs, it, dogs in general track no matter what. It's just we don't realize it half the time. So it's relatively simple. And, and there are a lot of different approaches to taking. We We did... Similar to our shed training products, we, we developed some products that we use and the instruction behind it. We did the same thing with the game recovery. So, again, I stress the simplicity in it. It's an approach that we've had a ton of success with and a lot of others have had success with. It's it's What we do is I try to simulate as much of those scents that we just talked about. I try to simulate them in our process. But just like when we trained our dogs and I expressed the idea of incremental training, introducing Little bitty steps on top of each other. We're going to take the same approach with the tracking dog. So I like to start them out young, if I can, and I'll start them out with simply a liver drag. It's a it's by using an actual liver. and This takes a little bit of thinking because you're going to want to save a liver from the season prior. If you can't get a deer liver, you can use a beef liver. I think it will work. I prefer a venison liver, but what we do is we simply do these little drags, these little straight drags, and. And we've got these little puppies and it's really just a game of predator prey. It's natural tapping into that predator prey with these dogs. It's a game of, I'm going to chase this thing down and I'm going to catch it. And when I get to the end of it, there's going to be something good for me. And so I simply start laying, I start, I have one person hold onto the pup and I'll drag the line and I'll let the pup go. And the little pup just chases it down and catches it. You know, they think they caught it. And so the thing is, is they're running this line and they're, I know because of the way a dog smells, he's bringing that scent in, and he's starting to understand that this is what it smells like when I run to the end of this thing and catch this thing. Well, do that a couple times, and then all of a sudden have the pup inside the house and lay the drag in the same spot and put the pup down. and Watch what the pup does. pup just puts his nose to the ground, and all of a sudden, off he goes. And he does the exact same thing that he did the last couple times, and he finds this little liver at the end. And I... The reason we use liver is because it's a scent that is associated with a wounded animal, but it's also a very sweet smell. And for whatever reason, these dogs love it. I mean, they, they really, really like it. So when they get to the end of it, I'll let them lick on it a little bit. I don't want them to eat it or anything, but I'll let them lick on it a little bit. Then I put it back in the Ziploc bag and into the freezer it goes. So I'll do that a couple times. Then we just slowly start adding some distance to it. We start adding a few turns in. Um, you know, 90 degree turns, watch the little pups. They run right through the 90 cause they just don't understand that there's a turn coming up. They outrun their nose, but then all of a sudden they that natural dog tracking in the dog comes out. They all of a sudden start circling back in and they get back into the air area and off they go. And we can, we can set this up by using the wind to our advantage. And, and this is all the thinking about it prior to doing it. Make it so that the dog's kind of quartering into the wind, and all of a sudden it finishes straight into downwind. You know, right into it, because it's gonna help the dog along. And so, I emphasize the idea of we're training the dog, we're not testing them. We're just trying to add small layers to it. So we go through that process. Then we start adding in some hair. We start using some hides. Uh, we start. I make a scent myself so that you don't. I, I've got a freezer in my garage right now that I I warn people don't look into it because there's a lot of stuff in there that you will want to see. It's it's t- that's uh, people always said. What's the hardest part about training these tracking dogs? I truly believe the hardest part about training a tracking dog is getting the stuff you need to do it at certain times of the year. I'm not big on road kills in August. I mean, it's just not something <laughs> I like doing. So what I do is I've got freezers full of this stuff. I process it myself. We naturally preserve it. We do a bunch of stuff to simulate the best we can a lot of the variety of scents. It's not just blood. It's a bunch of other stuff that's mixed into it, and we make it into a scent. And then we preserve it so it's got some shelf life, and it's got an opportunity where you can take it in your house, set it on the table, and your wife or your mom and your girlfriend will look at it and go, no big deal, and they'll walk right past it. Now, if that was a vial of blood, <laughs> you're out of there, man. It's not going to work. So. True. I I think the hardest part is getting the stuff you need, and that's what we've tried to do with putting together this kit. And then we also have you know the various parts and pieces that you can get because there's certain things you're going to run out of. You're going to need more scent. You're going to need a second piece of hide to be to act as the reward. And so you're going to want one that you're going to lay a scent trail with. You're going to want one at the end. So we offer all that stuff so that you can get it. And then you know we explain. More in depth on the on the process um, in the booklet and then in the DVD, but it's it's funny because once uh, we what you just said, so many people think that sounds really complicated. Well, once they watch and they actually start doing it with their dogs and they see our little videos on Facebook and they see how we're doing it, I think that they're really surprised at the idea of this isn't nearly as as hard as I thought it was going to be, and. That's our hopes. Uh, that's that's our, our thought is, if we can give you the tools and the information, you're going to have to put a little time into it. You know, you're know, you going to have to put invest the time with the dog, but it won't take that much. I promise you that. And if you're able to do that, I would be willing to bet your chances of recovering deer are greater than if you didn't. And that's, that's the whole goal. And that goes back to the, the beginning when we talked about what's our responsibility as a hunter? What are we really... What are we really doing? And I, I, I just really firmly believe that if we, if we wound an animal, we really owe it to them to, to to make every effort possible to find them. Yeah,
1: so true. I've, uh, <clears throat> I've actually found out recently that I've got a little bit of red green color blindness to a degree. So I've sure. realized why sometimes it's harder to see blood. And you bet. And that's developed a need for me that I really do think I need to start. Uh, training my dog or utilizing a tracking dog more to help me with that process because I think that is a is even more critical for the 20% of men out there that have that type of color blindness. So, it's another Absolutely. reason why I'm thinking that it's something I really need to look into. So, you've got me very intrigued and um really interested in adding to my dog's training regimen. Um sure. But uh all that said, we are we've taken a lot of your time, Jeremy, and Dan actually had to drop off the line. But he and I both really, really appreciate you joining us here for the for this conversation. This has been great.
0: Well, I I thank you for having us, and and I thank you for doing this stuff because, like I said earlier, this type of awareness I think is what's really important. Uh, uh, you know, because it's something that it, it's first of all it's fun. And second of all, there's a lot of upside to it. So for for I appreciate you you willing to to listen to me jabber for as long as I did, but uh, I, I had a great time and you guys made it easy. So
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, if anyone out there who's listening wants to learn more about you or pick up your, you know, your different products for shed hunting and game tracking, where can they go?
0: Uh, best, the best place is probably our website, which is dogbonehunter.com. Um, th- that, there they can see all of our stuff and get links to different retailers and different places that carry it. And it's also a nice, it's an easy way to link to some of our social media stuff and our social media stuff. We treat it. I I try to treat it more as a training resource than anything. And, and the nice part about it is it's free and it's pretty interactive. So it's, it's one of those things where we can post a training tip or a training video. We can get some back and forth with different people that are maybe doing the same thing and having a little bit of a issue with this or that. And we can kind of get conversation going that way. So, um, dogbonehunter.com would be probably the best place to get started.
1: Perfect. Well, we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes for this episode. And um, I'll be sure to be heading there too and and probably picking up a few more resources to help myself out. So, Jeremy, thank you. Thank you so much. We really appreciate the time.
0: Thank you. I appreciate
1: it. All right. Have a good one. All right. Well, that is going to do it for us today on the podcast. And what an awesome interview. Whether you have a dog or not, I hope you learned something new today that can help you in the future. And I know I certainly did. And I'm pretty pumped to get my dog Boone out there in the woods to start looking for sheds soon. That said, to close things out, as we discussed at the beginning of the show, we do have a giveaway winner to announce. And to be eligible for that giveaway, all you had to do was leave a review on iTunes between the time last episode came out and now. And many of you did, so thank you for that. And the winner, as we mentioned, will be getting A brand new, our brand new redesigned Wired Hunt hat. And they'll be the first person to get one of those. So that's kind of cool. And that winner is iTunes username, Brandon Bowhunter. Congratulations, Brandon Bowhunter. And here's what Brandon had to say in his review. This podcast is what I look forward to every Wednesday. You guys have absolutely outdone any other hunting related podcast out there. The amount of information that you guys pack into a one hour show is awesome. As a CNC machinist, I'm not able to read at work, but I am allowed to have headphones in. And as a deer bum, your show feeds my needs all year long. Thank you, Mark and Dan, for the great shows. Keep up the great work. Good work, I should say. And thank you, Brandon. We really appreciate that. And love to hear from a fellow deer bum that's enjoying the show and just so glad that we can help you make it through the long day at work, too. And when you hear this... Make sure to hop on the Wired Hunt Facebook page and send us a message with your address, and we'll get that hat in the mail ASAP. And I also want to give a shout-out to iTunes user Jay Wook, who headlined his review simply by saying, Dan has a very respectable beard. (laughs) I kind of get a kick out of that. I can't deny it, but that's pretty funny. Although, let's be honest, it's really my beard that's in need of a self-esteem boost, so uh, come on, guys, help me out on that. Uh, Continuing on. For show notes and links from today's show, please visit wiredhunt.com episode forty-five. And of course, we also want to thank all our partners who have helped keep this podcast on the air. So big thank you to Sika Gear, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Carbon Express Arrows, Hunt Soft, Lacrosse Boots, Big J Long Range Attractants, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. And finally, thank you so much for joining us today. If you have a dog, I hope you've been inspired to transfer him or her into a deer dog. And if not, you know, maybe this episode will get you infected with a little bit of puppy fever. Either way, tune back in next week for another great show. And as always, stay wired to hunt.